0: Restaurant Unstoppable, episode 433.
1: This perspective of, of bold humility, of, of being part of something bigger than yourself, and having having the confidence in that has, has really changed our environment.
0: Are you ready for it factors, success stories, failures, and bombs of restaurant industry knowledge? Then, join Eric Cacciatore and today's incredible guest, as they share what it takes to become unstoppable. Payroll and benefits are hard, especially when you're a small business. Gusto is making payroll benefits and HR easy for modern small businesses. You no longer have to be a big company to get great technology, great benefits, and great service to take care of your team. To help support Restaurant Unstoppable, Gusto is offering our listeners an exclusive limited-time deal. Sign up today, and you'll get three months free. Once you run your first payroll, just go to gusto.com slash unstoppable. 89% 89% of guests research a restaurant online before dining out. Your website is your first impression. So answer me this question honestly. What does your website say about your restaurant? Also, websites are no longer static brochures. They're dynamic tools that can help you drive revenue. Head over to getbento.com and see why thousands of restaurants trust Bento Box with their websites. And if you mention restaurants unstoppable, you can save up to $1,500 on initial setup. Get on it. And with excitement, (laughs) allow me to introduce to you today's guest, Joe DeLoss. Joe, are you feeling unstoppable? I am getting there. I am getting there. (laughs) I'm ready for this. Yes, let's do it. So Joe DeLoss is a graduate of Capital University. After graduating, he took the path of investment banker turned entrepreneur. In 2013, DeLoss discovered Nashville Hot Chicken, and it was instant love. By 2014, that entrepreneurial spirit took over and had full grasp. And along with his wife, uh, he opened Hot Chicken Takeover. And four years later, they have expanded to three locations. And you're just doing really great things in the community, man. So I'm so excited to make an example of you. I can't wait to learn about how you got to where you are today. But Let's get that motivational inspirational ball going with a success quarter mantra. What do you got for us?
1: You know, the last year for us
0: has been pretty significant.
1: And so one of the things that, uh, seems particularly relevant is a mentor of me told, uh, mentor of mine told me that, uh, good experience comes from judgment. Most judgment comes from bad experience. Goodness no, wait, goodness. I think I screwed that up. <laughs> I over. think I screwed that up. Um, so put that. Oh, uh, she had said that good judgment comes from experience. Most experience comes from bad judgment. Did I get it right that time or did I repeat myself? It's your quote,
0: man. It's It's my quote. (laughs) Dive into it. It's not even mine. Somebody gave it to me. Depending on, let's just hear what your thoughts are now and how that resonates with you.
1: You know, our business has gone through really exponential growth in less than 12 months. We grew our team by four times. Oh, wow. We grew our operating hours by five and our sales by about six. And it put us to the test. I bet, man. Uh,
0: I I want to, I want to dive into that, but I'm Good. gonna we're gonna use that as a, a teaser, all right? Uh, because I want to stay chronological. And uh, man, what you're sharing with us is a real, real challenge, especially when you're onto something. How do you keep that culture? going? Yeah, exactly. Right? So, all right, I'm not going any further. Let's start with where it all started with you. So, uh, how did you like? When did you know this was going to be your career? Or, like, when did you know you were going to be taking part like in their, the hospitality industry?
1: you know for me hospitality was kind of a, a secondary pursuit yeah and um i am really passionate about building teams mm-hmm. and we have a kind of a particular approach to human resources and team development and that's what got me excited and um i was looking for an opportunity an idea to build a team again and that's when we took that trip to nashville and just fell in love with the experience and the hospitality and the product and that became the focal point for uh the business that could build my next team. Yeah.
0: So I want to kind of uh, lay some foundation here or something, like draw the picture of the background story. You graduated from Capital University uh, and you're on a path for, uh, entrepreneurism and and investor. You're an investment banker, right? Yeah. So, uh, I guess, what was that? Like, were you not happy or what was going on there? Why did you get away from that?
1: Yeah. So if I took it a step even prior to that, while I was in college, um, I got turned on to this idea of social entrepreneurship. And so,
0: okay. What is that?
1: So I had spent my entire adolescence doing a lot of volunteerism, trying to impact the community through service and support. And similarly, um, you know, from the time I was in the fourth grade, have found ways to make my own money. I like building businesses and building things. And a mentor told me, you know, these two things are, um, you know, have a place together. So the idea of social entrepreneurship is building businesses and ideas that integrate community impact into their, their business model. Okay. And so for us, where and, and for me, over the last ten years, I've I've found opportunities to build teams of people uh, that are providing those opportunities to men and women that are often limited from the workforce.
0: So let's um, let's save that. I won't okay. go to that point. But why was social entrepreneurs or entrepreneurism so? Why did that resonate with you? What was it about social entrepreneurism that? Yeah. What, what, what did that? What about that spoke to you?
1: You know, I. Uh, you could serve soup every day at a, a pantry or a, a shelter, and um, the line will always be there the day after. And so I'm, I'm really grateful for people in our community that have that kind of compassion to support yeah. people in need with food, shelter, et cetera. Uh, I just never really had the patience for it. And um, and so I started to to get more excited about what are the long-term kind of sustainable solutions to some of these difficult problems we have, complex problems we have in our community. And so that's what got me turned on.
0: So, what do you think the long-term solution is? I'm curious, or should we wait until the very end to tap into that? What's on the horizon? Yeah, for I, chicken.
1: You know, I think the long-term solution is is, and and we can talk about it more. I'll, <laughs> I'll follow
0: your lead, but
1: um, to me, the long-term solution is creating economic opportunity for people and and acknowledging that. Um, many problems that people in our community face are generations deep, sometimes well before their existence. And um, unfortunately, most of the community solutions out there acknowledge that you should be able to solve these problems in two weeks or two months or two years. And um, it just doesn't work that way.
0: Oh, man, I'm really excited for where this conversation is going (laughs) to go. I'm holding back from asking more questions. I feel like a lot of what we're talking about is going to come out in the story as we keep going. So um, you for a little while you were also an educator and you were working with uh, entrepreneur programs, Uh, dive into that a little bit uh, more, kind of just touched on it a little bit. Like uh, what did you learn from all those, those experiences? Yeah. So I've
1: been on this path of entrepreneurship for about 10 years and um, hot chicken is probably my fifth idea. And um, (laughs) along the way, there have been instances where I've been between ideas or have uh, lost my shirt on ideas. And so I'm trying to find ways to generate income. And one of the ways I did that and stayed engaged in the community was teaching. And so I taught entrepreneurship at the Ohio state university and um, primarily with undergrads and some graduate students Mm -hmm. and um, would help other people work through ideas they were, they were working on. And um, I think what I learned is There are a ton of great ideas and there are a ton of people with what they believe are really original ideas but what's going to differentiate an idea in the future is about execution Mm. and discipline
0: and Mm. hard work. And um, (laughs) most people lack that completely. Oh man. Uh, That's so true. And it's funny. One of the things I say, once you, before you can do, you must be. And what you're talking about is the the be the being, becoming the discipline, the values and the, the lens through which you see the world. Right. Yeah. And that, I mean, and that's just so important. So what did you see about, or what did you learn about how to be, Uh, up to this point. I'm curious teaching other people how to do those things.
1: Yeah. I mean, man, you should have given me an inspirational quote. This is great. Um, (laughs) You know, I think for me, I have surrounded myself with really savvy entrepreneurs that are generate their, you know, give of their time generously to support each other. Yeah. And I, you know, I think I've learned that this is a a roller coaster and it's a a hard one. And um, it takes a lot of resilience and grit to build something Mm and um the one thing i really believe in is this idea of kind of bold humility and for an entrepreneur that is unwilling to um, step down from their ideas or get out of their own way at times um there's generally pretty big consequences um and so for us we lean in boldly to growth um but always acknowledge that our idea is bigger than any one of us on the team and so that's where that humility kind of counterbalance comes in Mm. and um really believe that's probably you know one of the the most vital parts of our fabric and culture here at hot chicken is this idea of bold humility
0: man i'm I'm writing it down our idea is bigger than any one person on the team bigger (laughs) because i want to come back to this all right than any one person all right cool so uh i guess let's kind of fast forward uh to uh where you discovered Nashville hot chicken. But well, actually before this point, did you have uh, like a passion for food or was there, were you a food yet or like? Yeah, yeah, to some degree, I think as an entrepreneurial person, I always
1: have a very like consumer design perspective. And so uh, if I go to a restaurant with my wife i like to sit in the seat that sees the most of the action so i can um just understand how things work and it's the same way if i'm at a a retail store or boutique trying to buy some clothes Mm -hmm. or something and um
0: i think it's just a guy thing to want to have your back to the wall and see everything
1: yeah i don't know (laughs) i don't know you know i'm i'm working really hard to be present (laughs) and uh not constantly be letting my brain spin okay That mindfulness is not something I've had ever. Um, So I'm trying to, I'll take the other seat now. (laughs) Um, But yeah, so I've always been oriented towards how do ideas come to life and come together? And when you think about somebody that's so bold to think that their idea is worth pursuing or building a business of, uh, many of the people you have as guests on Mm. this podcast, um, I really love kind of unpacking how they made the decisions they've made. Mm. Um, Because there's a kind of intention there that shows really like, the discipline and character of the entrepreneur that's uh, to me really
0: captivating awesome uh so 2013 you come across uh nashville hot chicken mm-hmm. w- what were you doing in nashville in the first place <laughs> so my wife
1: and i were expecting our first daughter at that point okay. she was about seven months pregnant okay um and uh nashville was in driving distance of columbus and we it was right before winter and we wanted to kind of take a breather and so we went down to nashville and one of the many things about that great community people told us to do is you have to eat hot chicken and so um we did and uh we waited you know we waited our 60 or 90 minutes to get our food and um i remember uh saying you know my i I was trying to provide some comfort for lisa and i was like ah let's go back to the hotel we can eat it and she basically said i we've waited long enough we're gonna eat this in the car (laughs) i'm hungry and uh and so we, what what I loved about the experience was how um, how accessible and um, kind of broad the the customer base was and the experience. And so you see people of different ages, socioeconomics, mm-hmm. uh, gender, uh, racial, all these all surrounding about around fried chicken, um, specifically hot chicken. Okay. And um, for this orientation of community development and building, um, it felt like a perfect mix. I think okay. fried chicken is probably the one great equalizer we have left in this country with all this crazy shit. <laughs> no, I really
0: like that perspective of how it's it's the that, you know, blend, that equalizer, and it, it brings all people from different classes together. And that that in itself is very powerful. So at what point did you have your own vision? Like was it an yeah. like instant, like, oh we're gonna bring this back to Columbus? Or like yeah. like how did that evolve?
1: Uh yeah, so we're driving home, and I thought, man, I, I think Columbus is just lacking this experience. And it wasn't just about hot chicken, but just the general kind of that, that feeling of comfort and accessibility and um, having a whole bunch of people elbow to elbow eating something and, and kind of breaking bread. Um, and, and so that's what I got really excited about. And, and I thought maybe hot chicken could be the vehicle for that, mm-hmm. and it's a unique enough product that I could probably stand out with that in our market. And so within a couple weeks of getting back, uh, my wife was actually at like a department store and we're on the phone. And she said, you, is there anything else you need uh, while I'm out here? I thought, yeah. And I texted her a picture of this little like uh, junky fryer, this... Uh, <laughs> and uh, it was like a tabletop fryer, a residential fryer. I said, just buy this. It was like 80 bucks. Yeah. Um, and she said, no. And I said, come on, <laughs> please. I just want to try it. And uh, so she bought it. And uh, it that's what started in the living
0: room is learning how to fry chicken. The first chicken I ever
1: fried was when that came home.
0: Wow. So when you fried this first piece Mm -hmm. of chicken uh, or before you fried that chicken, did you, did you kind of in the back of your mind say to yourself like, we're going to do this or were you committed at that point or was it still kind of just your toying?
1: It was an idea, you know, in, you know, this is my fifth attempt at entrepreneurship and I will say attempt, you know, Uh, one was had some moderate success, two through four, not so much. And and a big part of that was, um, I didn't, I didn't iterate and I didn't test things out. I didn't kind of validate my idea while I was building it. I just thought I had the solution. Okay. Not a lot of bold humility back then. Um, And so, uh, I, I think in the back of my mind, I always desired this to be something that could grow, something that could kind of be unstoppable, but, um, uh, at that point, I just thought, let's just create an experience for our friends yeah. in our house.
0: And this is 2014, before... Yeah. The, I mean, there's a lot of uh, upcoming uh, hot chicken locations sprouting up. we got Howlin' Rays out in Los Angeles. Yep. Uh, there's another one that's open in Chicago. Uh, my boy, Joe Fontana, mm-hmm. with Fry the Coop. Yep. Um, so th- but this is... We're talking it four years ago, so you were kind of really... Yeah, we are on the, before really the front started. end of yeah, the, yeah, yeah. the trend. So... Um, um, so I'm curious, like you knew you knew nothing about food, really. Like it sounds like you weren't really like I just liked but, eating it. Yeah, just like yeah. eating it. So how did you go about about that process of discovering and learning how to do it well without that experience? Yeah.
1: Well what I felt really confident about is our ability to build like a brand and an experience. The the food at that point became something we just had to master. Okay. And so um, I read a lot of recipes online. First, you know, when you're if you've had hot chicken, the first thing you have to master is just frying good chicken. That's number yeah. one. The second is your spice blend and your, mm-hmm. your paste mm-hmm. and your rub. And so I read a lot of re uh, a lot of recipes mm-hmm. and the four or five hundred comments that followed that recipe <laughs> of people that had tried it at home yeah. to iterate on our yeah. own kind of perfect
0: batch. So you said something that I think is important. Uh, you were more focused. Uh, your passion. It seems like your strength. Your your uh your yeah, I think strength it would yeah. be just focused focusing on the brand and the experience that you want to create, and the chicken kind of came second. Yeah, a little bit. Okay, so what was so let's kind of go back to what we were talking about earlier. What was this vision? What was the brand? What was the experience you wanted to create? Yeah, so I think
1: uh, the brand of Hot Chicken Takeover is this kind of we want to serve delicious food. Um, with, with hospitality and environment that make you feel like you're at a family reunion, yep. you know, something's really reminiscent of, um, some of those best memories you have connected to, to being with friends or family at your neighborhood block party or whatever that looks like. Um, and there's a certain amount of escape and joy that's associated with those feelings we mm-hmm. have. So when we walk in the restaurant, we want the music, the, the host, the hospitality to really build that up. Mm-hmm. Um, and eating delicious food is, is a big part of that too.
0: Yeah. And one of the things you're doing that's really great is that you're really giving back to the community by providing opportunity, like we were talking about earlier, with people that kind of took a, a, a wrong turn early in life or yeah. have a, a bad, like not a bad reputation, but a reputation for yeah. maybe getting in trouble. So was that uh, part of the vision early on to provide opportunities for the, these yeah. people or did that evolve later?
1: Yeah, of course correct too. And I, I'd say that community of people is really giving back to our business. Mm-hmm. You know, Our business boasts retention and productivity that are generally three or four times our industry and so we hire um, a really high character high caliber workforce that bring it every day they come to work and so about 70 percent of our team are men and women that have what we call is an alternative resume or a, a criminal record okay and um as they uh as somebody joins our team You know, we make an acknowledgement of the past, but we really focus on people's future stories and want to be part of that. Mm,
0: That's so cool. Okay, so uh, you you kind of have this idea, the vision for the brand, uh, giving back to the community. uh, That's all coming together. You start playing around with chicken, testing (laughs) recipes. Eventually, you start doing pop-ups, right? That was kind of like your first... Was it more like come over to our house? Was that kind of the, like- That was where it started. Okay, so take us there. So, well, so I figured out,
1: I figured out I got the chicken to about 80% and pulled in some friends that knew what they were doing from a culinary perspective to help. Okay. And um, then I realized I had nothing to serve with the chicken. <laughs> and so I called my grandmother, Maul. Okay. We call her Maul. Okay. Virginia left and um, said, Maul, I need your recipe for mac and cheese and coleslaw. And so tried to decipher whatever she communicated about you know, a half inch of vinegar yep. in the yellow bowl yeah. uh, into something more <laughs> scalable. And, um, and we started inviting friends over. And okay. so it started with the people closest to us. We would rent um, a UFC fight on pay-per-view, nice. which is something we like doing. And um, feeding friends as much fried chicken as we could. Okay, And getting feedback, different recipes, batches. Um, and we would lay out uh, like an eight-foot kind of card table or eight-foot yeah. banquet table in my living room. And all our friends would be around there eating chicken side nice. by side, and so from there, from there, those pop
0: ups turned into other locations where okay. we were doing that. So was this all intentional? I'm curious because you had that, that entrepreneurial background. You were yeah. teaching entrepreneurism. It's all about starting with as, as small as you can and scaling and learning and growing, right? Uh, so was this all intentional? Were you were you were you scaling a business at that point, or were you just having? Yeah, fun? I mean, I I think
1: increasingly the idea of having something was. Um, It felt increasingly close, like we might be on to it. Yeah. Um, But we just didn't want to put the cart before the horse. And so it was, how do we keep testing out this hypothesis that food and hospitality can bring people together in this rich environment and ultimately be successful enough to create jobs, which Mm -hmm. is the outcome I was looking for? Okay. And um, so the original original model of the business, after all these pop-ups, was not to... Um, necessarily open up restaurants of our own but mm-hmm. the name Hot Chicken Takeover came from this idea of we're going to take over other restaurants and bars on oh, underutilized nights nice. and throw a pop up okay. and so we'll go to the neighborhood bar on a Sunday night when they're not going to do much traffic and drag a whole bunch of people for this experience nice. Um so and we, yeah. Sorry, keep going, keep going. No, okay. so we, we, we tried a lot of those opportunities. And once you real, really learn how to fry great chicken, you realize you can't do it on other people's equipment. Yeah. You, okay. know, you have to have your own procedure and system. And so the, the model just didn't work. So okay. We, did it ourselves.
0: So there's a lot to take from uh, this approach that you took of uh, starting where you can, right? Starting from yeah. your bedroom, as little overhead as possible. One fryer, testing recipes, uh, feeding people that you know and love, and having them give you feedback, pivoting, evolving the recipe. Yeah. And once you get to a point where you're like, you got it pretty good, let's start bringing this to like, you know, taking over restaurants, right? Yeah. And scaling and continuing to grow the brand, create awareness, right? Was this, were you, was this just... Was this just happening, or was this intentional? I'm
1: no, a lot of it was intentional. Okay. I mean, a lot of it's intentional because I lost my shirt a few times before, and so it was. We can only justify additional investments now. Keep in mind, you know, this is also the start of my family, mm-hmm. and so the stakes feel a little bit higher than they were at any any venture prior. Yeah. And so, at that point, we were really, really committed to just keep pushing the idea, to keep making the idea stronger before we really blow it out big. And so, uh, what that translated to was, um, after it was our friends, it was, let's invite some friends of friends, maybe people that are kind of like kind strangers to us, into the mix. Okay. And and so, that's where we got. And um, so, that was one day a week. And then, it became two days a week. And then it got really cold and our location was outside and so <laughs> we had to move to where we're recording this, okay. which is a historic North uh, yeah. market downtown Columbus. Space, Pretty cool. Way, yeah. Yeah. Uh
0: so what advice do you have for somebody who's listening to this who is thinking about testing their vision with pop ups? Uh, because yeah. I think that's a great way to go to really fine tune to pivot like a kind of like the, the the Eric Reese like lean yeah. startup approach, right? Yeah. So uh what advice do you have for that person who wants to do pop ups? What did you learn about doing pop ups?
1: Yeah, I, I think you know, it's the pop-up or the food truck that everybody thinks is, is the way to validate their idea. Um, and I, I, I think it's attractive for a reason. It makes sense. It's yeah. lower overhead. Um, I think a lot of people make mistakes of not trying to build a brand. Okay. And so, um, you know, they build a food truck that goes outside of every bar in the neighborhood and, and easily sells product at mm-hmm. the end of a night when everybody's rolling out of the bar at close. Mm-hmm. Um, but nobody, one, is probably remembering that experience. Um, nor is it like a connection to that food. They didn't go there for that food. They went there for that bar, you know? And so I think a lot of pop-ups become convenience plays Mm -hmm. that aren't built to stand alone sufficiently. Um, And so for us, we we were really intentional beginning to build an experience and a brand and drive people to one location. Okay. Um, And I think that's what we did really well. So
0: how did you do that well? What what did that look like done well?
1: You know, for us, it was... um, one, like trying to execute on food and hospitality. Mm-hmm. And any of our original customers listening to this will, will know that we struggled to do that.
0: Every master you know? was once a disaster, <laughs> yeah. I love to say.
1: That's a, that's a great quote. Um, <laughs> and, um, and so for us, it was really gracious hospitality. And so we were screwing things up left and right. Um, but we weren't defensive. We acknowledged it. Um, back in the beginning, we had these handwritten cum- coupons that were um, a, a hot chicken stamp. On a piece of cutout like brown paper bag from the grocery store, yeah. that my wife was handwriting it, writing at the cash register that said "Sorry, we effed up. Come back for a meal on ours." <laughs> and uh, um, there were days she couldn't write fast enough um, oh, to keep up. <laughs> um,
0: what, 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 what did you learn from that experience of just the, uh, being humble and uh, like owning your mess ups? So I feel like that's a, there's a lesson in that, right?
1: Yeah, I mean, I think that that humility one because we want to build something that people want Mm -hmm. and if the people are communicating to you whether they're angry frustrated or happy that this experience didn't align with their expectations um you got to listen to them Mm -hmm. you know that's the perfect idea of the lean startup which is you got to iterate along the way um i think i had the advantage of our food uh, wasn't particularly personal to me i'm not a chef i'm not a culinarian Mm -hmm. and so um if somebody gave us feedback that could improve the food, I I was pretty, I was all ears. Yeah. 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 Absolutely. I was all in. Um, I didn't take that defensively.
0: That's a good point too. to, uh, have a, I mean, at a certain level, if you're a chef, if you commit your life to this, you're so proud of your food. It's such a, a part of who you are. It's almost like, like, uh, I had one past guest uh, refer to his his restaurant as his child right yeah uh and when it doesn't work out or if it, if it doesn't work out uh if things you know it's like it's like losing a child and you have to like almost have that ability i mean you, you want to be proud proud of it but you also yeah. have to separate yourself and detach yourself from it a little bit
1: yeah easier um, for me to do because yeah. i was committed to our team yeah not so much the 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 tangible the procedure yeah. of how we got there or yeah. the the
0: um Inputs. Okay. Okay. So we got to move on. I get yeah. It's already four thirty, oh. <laughs> Uh So okay. As as you're scaling this thing, when did you know it was time to pull the trigger and and uh, invest in a brick and mortar or move into a brick and mortar?
1: Yeah. So thankfully, we even had kind of a lean approach to that, and so we were in this pop up where we were paying a percentage of our revenue as rent, okay. and and um, it was growing, you know, really nicely. Um, fast forward that restaurant was primarily like our dining room was outside it was at a window on the side of a building and so as it gets cold as it gets cold in Ohio we couldn't sustain that um, we had an opportunity of finding another underutilized space okay. uh, that was in our kind of historic public market downtown Which Columbus called the North Market, market. that's okay. where we're at yep. so this space that we're sitting in had been really underutilized for almost 15 years okay. um, and so they were willing to take a chance on somebody that wasn't fully proven because we were willing to take a chance on the space. Mm -hmm. Uh, so it became a perfect partnership. When we opened here, we were only three days a week. Um, and then that three days became four, became five, but we negotiated a deal from the beginning that was equally lean. Okay. Um, and so it was, we continued that idea and this was a kind of our first validation of a what would be considered a, a more conventional yeah. bricks and mortar? I mean,
0: this space, how many square feet is this space? It's not like a little like Ricky the wall. No, it's about four thousand like square in feet basketball court right now. But
1: now <laughs> it's on the second floor yeah. of a historic market. Yeah. And um, the only reason people come up here is if they already have food and they're looking for a table. Yeah. Or they know we're here. Okay. And so, had we not built our brand in that first location, we wouldn't have convinced people to come up here. Okay. Um, and so, I, I think that's why. Other tenants that have had been in the space sometimes had trouble.
0: Okay, so wait. So if you didn't build your brand in that first location, the first location being the pop-ups.
1: Yeah, so okay. when we, we had a we had a pop-up in a permanent location, mm-hmm. and so it's where people on the weekends you go to gotcha. Old Town East and find Hot Chicken Takeover at the corner of Oak and Ohio. Okay,
0: so um, what, what was your following like at that point? Uh, you said d- yeah. building the brand. So how much of a brand uh, following did you have?
1: So at that point, weekends only. You know, we had over about six months from April through November, we served about 10,000 meals. Okay. And a lot of chicken. Wow. Um,
0: what about social media? Yeah.
1: I mean, media? I think in hard numbers, yeah. you know, we were probably in the, you know, four or 5,000 at that oh, point wow. on maybe Facebook. As a pop up. Yeah, as a wow. pop up. Now, as a following, um, building your brand. We That's got a amazing. decent amount of media attention over there. Yep. Um, because of our HR strategy, a lot more people want to talk about yep. what we do. Yep. Um, But that's, yeah, that's where it started. So we had a good, we had a lot of momentum coming into this location.
0: Okay. So what was the biggest challenge of, uh, I guess, moving into that brick and mortar and starting your brick and mortar, reflecting back?
1: Yeah. I mean, I think biggest challenge for us, um, we had to build out a kitchen, Mm -hmm. you know, and and there's, you know, capital, uh, capital concerns with that. Um, But it was also the first time that when you get into a, a more conventional space, people expect more conventional service and conventional outcomes and we were still pretty horribly inconsistent when we came here we were okay. still we were probably on our fourth iteration of the chicken recipe okay we um you know at, there were times at our original pop up that people would wait 1 to 2 hours in line and then wait another uh 30 to 45 five minutes for chicken oh wow turns out if you're on downtown at a business lunch <laughs> you don't want to wait you know, yeah, um, two hours for your yeah. your meal. So,
0: how did you fix those inconsistencies? What did you start doing to fine tune the, the processes?
1: Yeah, I think for us, our you know the same lean startup and 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 model went into iterating our kitchen production model. Mm-hmm. Um, we opened this particular site with fifteen people on the team, and at times those you know fifteen people all had to be on a shift, okay. and they would push out you know two hundred and fifty meals in an hour. I mean. Um, We kept looking at those metrics and and tracking with good Mm -hmm. tools increasingly Mm -hmm. um, on just how to keep doing it better. Mm -hmm. And so Columbus is a a pretty gracious place. So There's a lot of other food wisdom in our town. And a lot of those mentors gave us a lot of tips and told us we were screwing up.
0: What were the biggest tips from mentors that you got at the time? Feel free you know, to mention names too because I'm gonna yeah. go them after afterwards.
1: <laughs> <laughs> um, we got a significant amount of support from uh, the Wasserstrom family okay. um, who have Wasserstrom restaurant supply. Somebody we met at the pop-up that, that they just check out new concepts and um, put some of their best people on their team into giving us guidance and advice. Wow. Um, similarly, we've got you know great restaurant groups and families of Cameron Mitchell and the White Castle group, and we've got Wendy's in town, and Donato's, and some of these people have figured out operations uh, mm. to a T. And so they'd send over team members.
0: And um, Why do you think they why, – why? Why why would you help somebody? What were you doing that made people want to help you?
1: You know, I think people saw that our intentions mm-hmm. were good yep. and um, that we were willing to take advice. Yeah. You know, it wasn't – it was – we really generally – wanted to yeah. listen and wanted to act on what we were learning and um, everybody likes to feel good and provide somebody guidance yep. that moves their life forward yep. or their business forward And
0: I think which kind yeah. of comes back full circle to what we were talking about early in this conversation about creating a mission uh, you know a purpose uh, a brand that serves uh, yeah. not just doing it because doing good is good business obviously you want to serve uh, but the, the power of that goes I mean if you were just some random like like rinky dink like okay let's start a restaurant we don't know what we're doing this is a normal business but because you had that mission those values back of the operation i feel like probably attracted onto yourself some really great people
1: yeah i think you're exactly right and and um you know we are we've been really thankful along the way Mm. and um and generally you know that that same generosity we receive in our community and i i know the docket you're trying to interview here in town all of those people have had a role in our growth Mm. because they've all picked up the phone we've called and and similarly we try to do that for others in our own way yeah um it's just a really i mean columbus (laughs) yeah columbus has a pretty special ecosystem of builders
0: I love doing these things on site. We get a, a little <laughs> bit of uh, all like, the real charm yeah, that goes in behind. Yeah, it tearing down. It's cool, yeah. man. It's cool. Uh, okay, so what advice do you have? I'm, I'm assuming at this point, as you get into your brick and mortar, uh, we still got to talk about how you scaled the three locations. I uh, can't forget about that. But what, what were you doing right about getting your brand out there? What advice do you have about getting your brand out there once you... Well, what was your mission and your vision at this time? Let's start with just stating those, and then how did you get it out there?
1: Yeah, I mean, I think at that point, at the point we had kind of our first brick and mortar opportunity it was really about stabilizing what we had because at that point we had um, a lot more demand than we had supply or even expertise or capacity Mm -hmm. and so um, that's a pretty stressful you know what do you
0: mean stabilizing what we have
1: you know we were from the beginning we've been chasing at that point we were just chasing to keep up Um, we were getting more kind of press and momentum than we were operational support and so um you know it's we have a notorious reputation at those days because we'd just sell out a chicken Um, and it wasn't a marketing gimmick it was just we put the largest amount of chicken that we knew how to fry in a limited period (laughs) on the board and said this is how much we'll fry yeah and um and so that built up a lot of pent-up demand yeah um, and so when we moved into this location, it was just figuring out how do we increase our capacity? Yeah. And, um, I, I don't know if I would do it differently. We learned a lot of lessons. Um,
0: so that was back to like stabilizing, yeah. right? The, the, the question about stabilizing, but the question before that, how did you get your brand out there? Uh, was it yeah. just, was it just creating that, that vision, that, that mission that to serve that was so attracting or did you actually put things out there? Was, yeah. Was
1: you know, that? we didn't, um, I think this is the first year that we've spent any conventional money on marketing, okay. uh, whether it's uh, really, you know, paid, uh, traditional paid online marketing or print media or anything, mm-hmm. radio. Um, prior to that, it was just let's create an experience that's so differentiated from what people are used to that they are going to talk about it for us. Okay. And so we didn't have a very, you know, conventional marketing strategy. Mm-hmm. It was let's build a really rich and dynamic experience because not many people are going to go to a party and say, man, I, I went to this fast casual restaurant. It was superb. Yeah. Um, but to create a unique experience coupled with like the, the story and the narrative of our mission and mm-hmm. our team, it becomes a talking point yeah. for people. And they were our best ambassadors, those so early customers. At
0: that time, 2014, what was unique about your operation? Why was it different?
1: you know, so there was a giant line. And so people would come in this rich experience of a line and start talking with the people ahead of them and mm-hmm. behind them. And then by the time they'd get through that long line and order their chicken, they'd sit down on a table mm-hmm. that was all communal. And yeah. at that point there weren't a lot of communal tables it, in central Ohio.
0: kind of feels like a cafeteria.
1: A little bit, you yeah. know, so in this restaurant we seat about a hundred people. There are only three tables. Mm-hmm. And so it, it, emphasizes those friendships you built in line and that community you started to establish with people that might look completely different than you now you have rapport so when you sit down you you get to a deeper level of engagement Mm -hmm. and um people are having a lot of fun with
0: it awesome okay so let's kind of fast forward into the future um you go from one location to two locations how long did it take you to get into a second location So we opened up, um, you know, our first brick and mortar about six months after that
1: pop up and Mm -hmm. at the, towards the end of 2014, um, 2015, we started stabilizing, increasing our operating hours as we increased our own capacity Mm -hmm. and then realized that, you know, we have an opportunity to build something. Let's Mm -hmm. think about what it looks like in a different format or at a different site, maybe a site that's open for lunch and dinner.
0: Okay.
1: And, um, I knew I had to raise some money for that.
0: Where's that site that's open for dinner? Cause after I leave, I get
1: some. <laughs> we have, a, we have two. <laughs> so okay, you get oh, your choice. Cool. Um, um, but yeah, so we knew uh, we had to raise capital okay. and um, being from kind of the entrepreneurship scene and in the startup space, mm-hmm. I knew how to get started. Yeah. Um, so if
0: you're doing really well, if you have lines at the door and you're selling out every day, uh, would you really want to go to somebody else and ask for money when you could get there eventually on your own?
1: yeah I think at the we were so excited about what we've been building that mm-hmm. we want to grow at a rate that isn't necessarily supported out of the cash register okay building restaurants is expensive mm-hmm. um, and so it would take us it would have taken us a few more years to to generate enough cash flow to okay. to reinvest ourselves and the other part of that is we wanted to find partners that could help exponentially grow us better stronger faster
0: okay and so we were able to so to, part of the Finding the capital was finding the people that could also mentor you in taking things better. Okay, cool. And it it takes those
1: mentorships uh, and those relationships to a different level because now they have skin in the game. Mm -hmm. Uh, And so they're a lot more you know a lot more invested mm-hmm. uh literally and figuratively mm-hmm. in in seeing the concept grow and yeah.
0: so and i would say you know a lot of people get in trouble by growing too fast yeah. because it's really hard to uh take that 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 mojo that soul and yeah. replicate it in every location uh, was that in the back of your mind were you afraid of that at all yeah of
1: course so it became a pretty intentional part of our plan which is we're going to raise money so we can afford growth Okay. And the first major investments we're going to make are in our team's infrastructure mm. and um, and in kind of the bench strength of our team that's not tied to what a store. What do
0: you store. mean by that, uh, your team's infrastructure? What, what does that look yeah, like? Yeah,
1: so it was, you know, we knew that if we were to grow, um, things like our uh, chicken supplier, our technology, our POS, all of those things were not at a point that they could really support a lot of growth. Mm-hmm. And so um, we decided to not put the cart before the horse okay. you know or, or whatever and uh and started to make investments in really building a foundation that could support more growth okay um, cool and so uh you know for us it was we have one restaurant now let's build the infrastructure as if we had three or five
0: okay so give me an example of what some of these infrastructures are and what they look like yeah consider. so um
1: uh some really tangible examples you know we we invested in an entirely new um POS system, and so we went from, you know, a tablet-based system that would crash all the time, uh, that had no data stream on the back end of it, okay. um, to a more conventional system. We use Brink. Okay. Um, five guys uses Brink. Some some really big players. Okay.
0: Um, so you currently use Brink. We what currently we using, use Brink. we using before.
1: So before we, um, you know, when we first started out, we were on Square. Okay. Um, from there, we went to Touch Bistro. Okay. Um, and then uh, we, we had short-lived with Touch Bistro and then jumped on to uh, Brink.
0: Yeah. Uh, what was it about, I, mean, I think Square's recommended a lot in the show. I think it's a really simple platform. is a great which way to start. Good. Yeah. Which yeah. is Yeah. If you're just getting started, it's low overhead. It's an easy investment. Sometimes they have programs, too, that will actually write you a loan to, to get the yeah. software or in the hardware. Uh, But it's it's not necessarily great for scaling is what I've heard would you agree with that?
1: Um, Yeah I mean I think it's getting there Uh, I just recently got exposed to some of the new developments Square is doing I was really impressed but for us we wanted to you know we were trying to build a cloud of infrastructure so that all of our restaurants and all of their data could be accessed in real time Mm -hmm. um, without standing in front of, of the hardware. Mm-hmm. And so Brink was that for us. And so we coupled uh, Brink as a POS system with QSR Online as kind of an information system. Okay. That QSR Online connects everything yeah. from our suppliers to our POS yeah. and, um, that was man. I felt like a real grown up once I started looking at that data. QSR
0: Online, past sponsor of the show. One oh, of really? Sponsors actually. So shout out to them. Uh, probably wouldn't be here today if not for that. Oh, really? Hurt, so uh, cool. Um, all right. So I can't believe it's already four forty three. Do we have a hard stop at five? We can go over a little okay. bit. Okay. So I want to respect your time. So before we get to the speed round, anything that you want to spend the next five minutes. Uh, making sure we communicate an area of expertise, a topic that you is near and dear to your heart that you just want to cover before. Yeah.
1: You on. know, I'd love to talk about human resources okay, a little bit. It. And I, you know, I think often in our industry, um, uh, the quality of life and the quality of job for our most entry level associates is overlooked. Mm-hmm. And, um, and so our industry is wrought with, um, really high turnover and poor retention and conflict, theft, all these things at work. Um, those are, those are, of course, things we've uh, encountered mm-hmm. as a team. But we make uh, a really significant investment to say that the personal stability of our team uh, will translate to professional stability. And so we try to build jobs that are worth having, um, both in compensation, mm-hmm. but also with a unique set of benefits. And so offering people... Um, opportunities to earn match savings accounts or um, investments in transportation or incentives, um, and, and so when you when you start investing in your team's stability, wow. um, it makes a pretty significant difference.
0: Yeah, and. Y- you're touching on uh, Maslow's hierarchy of needs right now. The most yeah. basic needs is just that sense of security, right? And that's personal security yeah. and taking care of the personal, the personal needs, right? And if you can take care of those personal needs, then it's much easier to take care of their their professional. A hundred percent. So give me some. So you just gave some examples of transportation. Uh, what are some other things you're doing to take care of personal needs?
1: Yeah. So I, you know, um, a lot ties down to financial. Um, support mm-hmm. and and literacy and mm-hmm. providing opportunities to align the goals they have in the future with financial prospects now mm-hmm. and so we've built a work model and a management system that says no matter who you are marketing director or new crew member mm-hmm. your first job is our dish tank and and from there here are the clear expectations for which you can grow into earning more income and yeah. more so you're opportunities. Actually, you're
0: laying down tracks, paths that your employees, when they come through your yeah. doors the first time, can see that there's a, there's a path here, a route I can take.
1: A 100%. And I think most people that are, are there's kind of two categories of, of folks that are eager to work, particularly in quick service or fast casual. It's either well-resourced high school or college kids that are earning discretionary money for- beer food go to the movies with their friends or a group of community members and americans that have experienced a lot of volatility for generations Mm -hmm. um, that are working to feed their family off Mm -hmm. of relatively low wages yeah and so when you think about something like a criminal record often it's a matter of circumstance for somebody not their character Yeah. yeah and so our environment emphasizes building up that that safety and security, yeah, um, so they can so they know, can keep doing yeah, more, yeah. Um, And so those benefits are, um, you know, if somebody has great attendance for two months, we'll pay for their third month of transportation, mm-hmm. bus pass, gas card. Four hundred one ks don't make a lot of sense to people that are, um, you know, trying to think a month or two ahead, mm-hmm. and so we provide match savings accounts for things mm-hmm. like um, transportation investments, like buy a new car, yep. get get new housing. Um, and those things go a really long way.
0: how far can somebody who comes in the door today uh, that has a what's the the explanation you use uh, the the background uh, unconventional resume yeah so what what potential uh, how far can they grow what opportunities can you give them? Could they be yeah. a partner is yeah that, so we have a type? we have
1: a blended team from top to bottom on our org chart mm-hmm. of crew members to executive leaders that have alternative resumes mm-hmm. um, for us it 's you know, there's a lot of novelty, of course, especially on things like this, to talk about who we hire, mm-hmm. but what's more important is the how. Mm-hmm. And so we build an environment with rich benefits and clear expectations and empower people to be in charge of their own careers and, and to offer them the opportunity to build a career, um, not just you know a, a job, okay. And and that means a lot to
0: people. So rich benefits, clear expectations. How do you spell out those clear expectations?
1: So for us, we have um, we have an employment path, like a roadmap, okay. that we can put on people in front of people on day one and say, if you meet these expectations, you will go from a trainee to a crew one to a crew two, and, and so on. Mm-hmm. And so it's um, it's all laid out in a handbook and, yeah. and, and, and in communication and trainings
0: for each each uh, potential position.
1: Yeah. I mean, from a granular level, level, we don't hire for specific positions. We don't hire front of house, back of house. Yep. We hire everybody to the dish tank. Yep. And um, you can grow through our crew levels, yep. one, two, and three, based on kind of earning the merit badges of, um, of mastering specific positions. Mm. So for us, if you are a host in the restaurant, meaning you were managing the party in the front of house and making sure everybody has what they need, it's a pretty complicated job. Um, highly High emotional intelligence, high enthusiasm. Mm-hmm. That is a crew three job. Um, serving sides on the line, fundamentally important job. But there are two or three people that are going to check that box before it goes out to cu- customers. Mm-hmm. So that's a crew one job. Okay. Um, we've got 16 positions, all detailed out for clear expectations and mastery.
0: And how are you, what framework are you using to educate your team? Is there a, a platform they're using or is it all just a... Uh- on, in, in a book an operations manual or do you have like a yeah
1: so every employee has a handbook that lays out these expectations okay. we also spend we invest a lot of money and time in communicating with our team Okay. so every day there is a standing meeting we call it our all hands so okay. everybody on deck spends 15 to 20 minutes working on development okay. working on feedback um, and the other the other kind of rich part of the model that I think a lot of people underestimate is we give performance feedback every You know 30 to 60 days every team member will have a sit down that clearly outlines how they're performing alongside of our management system
0: Mm, man any final thoughts before we move to the speed (laughs) round uh i want to make sure you're you're talking from your heart and you're going where you want to go
1: yeah i you know i i just don't i don't want people to underestimate um underestimate the character of people that have um have made mistakes Mm -hmm. and um we have a team of people that um, work hard and represent us as ambassadors in such a significant way that have been cut out of the work opportunity because of often a matter of circumstance in their past.
0: Yeah. And I just have one question before yeah. we the speed round and, and that is how does it feel man uh, to know that you've been able to impact and help people transform their lives and turn things around like what's that yeah. what's that like I have to I'm yeah so it's
1: you know for me it's uh, it's a privilege you know we're not saving anybody we're not dragging anybody out of a bad situation we provide an opportunity and are lucky enough to be alongside of our team members mm-hmm. and so when you have a team member come in that worked hard enough and and fought hard enough to get their first house or um, their first reliable vehicle. Mm-hmm. And you got to play a small part of that. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm really proud of that. And, um, and it's a huge privilege.
0: I, I can only imagine. This has been a great uh, episode or conversation up to this point. We're going to take a quick break to thank our sponsors. We'll be right back payroll and benefits. It's hard. Sometimes it feels like a foreign language, especially for small businesses. I mean, you're too busy running your business. You don't have time to be an expert in all things, taxes and regulations. That's why there's Gusto. Gusto is making payroll benefits and HR easy for small businesses. Modern technology does the heavy lifting, so it's easy to get things right. PC Mag and Fit Small Business have called Gusto the best payroll for small businesses. Gusto will save you time. 72% of customers spend less than five minutes to run their payroll. Gusto is more efficient and reliable. Four out of five customers actually reduce payroll errors after switching to Gusto. People who succeed in this industry have access to systems and information, and Gusto will provide both. You no longer have to be a big company to get great technology, great benefits, and great service. To help support the show, Gusto is offering our listeners an exclusive limited-time deal. Sign up today and get three months free once you run your first payroll. Just go to gusto.com slash unstoppable. G-U-S-T-O dot com slash unstoppable. All right, guys, it's time to get real and answer this question, honestly. Does the quality of your website match the quality of your restaurants? If the answer is no, you need to do something about it because 89% of your guests will go to your website before going to your restaurant. So you've got to make sure you're bringing it to all aspects of your business. And this is where Bento Box comes in. Not only will Bento Box help you deliver your brand and your story online, but it will help you leverage the full potential of the internet because websites are no longer static brochures. They're dynamic tools that help you drive revenue with bento box, easily update menus, promote events, share, press, sell gift cards, take catering orders and book, private events, plus way more directly from your website. Find out why bento box is trusted by thousands of restaurants around the world, including past and future guests like Suvla, pizza, Emily, 11 Madison park, the meatball shop and more. Head to bento.com and make sure you mention Restaurants Unstoppable to get up to $1,500 off your initial setup. We're back. And the first question I have for you is what is your it factor? I have it's a trait, a characteristic you believe most contributes to your success.
1: You know, when I'm passionate about something, I, uh, I can sell it pretty effectively. And I'm passionate about the work we do. And so I think I've had an ability to harness that and convince people to, to jump on board.
0: Ability to sell the passion. Yeah. I dig it. Uh, What's your biggest weakness?
1: Man, uh, this is a pretty long list. Uh, (laughs) You know, so for me, I think uh, just kind of sheer, I I am learning about the the patience of management and leadership every day. And um, uh, I've stubbed my toes a lot because I've been, you know, ineffective at setting expectations for people, um, particularly, you know, for a broader, you know, more leadership team and administrative team and, um, am kind of notoriously a hard guy to work for. And it's something I'm really working on changing.
0: Okay. How are you working? How are you changing that?
1: Yeah. A lot of coaching and mentorship and, and an increasing amount of self-awareness about, um, you know, knowing that, everybody's work on our team is representative of my leadership Mm -hmm. and um and so if i want to represent that leadership well i really have to lead Mm. and really have to enable people to do great work and not just put people under the gun and um hard I, i think you know to think about it more broadly the skills the grit and the resilience that got us to this point in our history is not representative of the skills I need to get us further. Mm-hmm. That I need more maturity, wisdom, executive leadership experience. You name it, um, and I'm just kind of an open,
0: you know, open vessel right now, trying yeah, to man. gather as much info as I can. I'm we'll gonna try to repeat it, but everybody's skill or ability to to uh, I can't remember the words you use. Fill in the blank is a representation. Is it represent? Wow, I'm struggling talking right now. Is a repres- right, representation off. of um, yeah, right of my leadership in. Uh, that's just so powerful to know that if if there's an issue with your people, the problem's not with the people, the problem's with you. Yeah, uh, I think and so. And once you accept that, uh, I, I feel like a lot of people will just point to the, uh, you know, a lot of leaders quote unquote, will just point to their people and say, this is yeah. wrong, but Hey man, they're where they are because of you. Uh, so it's a perfect example of like how you are as a leader. right? Yeah. It takes um, a lot of
1: humility to, to, because it, what it ends up feeling like is, man, I'm just dropping the ball left and right because that person wasn't supported of that yeah. person.
0: And so... That's, that's the, the mentality you need to have with that. Like if they're not doing it right, like what can yeah. I be doing better? And, and managing people yeah. mm-hmm.
1: is, you know, you can be good at managing people or things. I've been really good at managing things and I'm trying to learn how to manage people effectively.
0: Great. Uh, what's one question or thing you look for during the recruiting process?
1: To me, I look for, you know, we have a, a pretty set... Uh, group of values for our company and and a big part of that is around somebody's orientation towards their future and their willingness to take ownership of it and um, just like you said on the last speed round it's easy to make excuses it's easy to point at other people that have led you down a certain path and um, the people that are best on this team are the ones that just truly take ownership um, good bad or ugly and uh, commit to a you know, a positive path moving forward.
0: What's a current challenge today?
1: Um, yeah, really candidly, I think, I think we went from 45 team members to 175 in six months and the growing pains culturally associated with that are mammoth. Um, and and in the place we, we struggled most is we really underestimated the importance of kind of our middle managers, our shift leaders, our assistant managers, Mm -hmm. um, and so our biggest challenge right now is to make that group of people feel supported mm-hmm. and give them what they need to be successful. Mm-hmm. And um, they, we just have a loyal team of people that bust their, you know, tails so hard. So for you, us.
0: you recognize you came sh- that, that you could have been, I guess, better about building up that, that the middle management. So what are you doing now to build those minimum? Yeah.
1: Managers? So I think the first is get making sure we get all those expectations down. Mm-hmm. Um, so that we can clearly communicate them. You got to paint that picture. Perhaps. Yeah, you got to paint the picture of what we think success looks like here, and um, and they're helping us do that. You know, they're helping us put together the path of what's what's the hospitality standard at uh, chicken, and what's the uh, production or the chicken standard. Um, so a lot of SOPs right now.
0: All right, share one code of conduct or a behavior you teach your team. These are like beliefs, core values, a way to be
1: yeah so we have we have five unique values, and it's team hustle, ownership, growth, and solutions and the one that I, I think is the most important is um, is really around man I, well they're all important, this is why they are our values. this is how we give people performance feedback based mm-hmm. off of their alignment with our work. Mm-hmm. I do think ownership is you know a significant significant piece and so if if somebody is unwilling to acknowledge their role in something that may have been less than ideal or something that's great. Mm-hmm. Um, it's really a sign of somebody that's ne- never going to be successful here. Mm. Is um, you can't you can't point fingers and you can't well support a team mm-hmm. if um, you're not kind of in charge of, of your own you know actions or believe you are.
0: Awesome ownership. Uh, what is one. Uncommon standard of service. So this is more like how to treat other people, like physical things you would do. Like instead of just handing you this thing real quick, like I'm gonna give it to you with two hands. Like what's a like a physical thing you teach your staff?
1: Yeah, I think it, it's kind of wrapped up in this unique position of a host for us. Um, as a fast casual restaurant, you generally don't see this kind of front of house service, mm-hmm. um, and so. If- it's really important for us to set the stage for the experience we want our customers to have. And so we have somebody whose job is to be the first and last impression on a team or on a, on a customer. Okay. And so we try to mark that experience with um, gratefulness and generosity and um, generally make somebody, make a customer feel like you belong here and um, we're really grateful you came. Like, thanks for coming to our party and um, you made it special today.
0: That's a big part that I think a lot of people miss. They're so focused on the first impression, the greeting, but they forget about what happens after the check's been paid.
1: That's the truth. That's where all your recovery happens. Yep, yep, and exactly. so, um, yeah, we want to we wanna try to make that experience, you know, from a three-star to a five-star before they walk out the door.
0: Great. What's one book that's a must-read to make us a better person or restaurant operator? You know, restaurant
1: operations, we, we, our executive team, read Traction, which is a book around an entrepreneurial operating system. And it was the best shortcut we made to being an organized and disciplined group.
0: Wow. That's the second time this book's been mentioned, uh, in a couple of weeks, it was actually my <laughs> current host, Mikey Soboro, uh, who first recommended Traction.
1: And Maybe you should um, ask Mikey where he learned of that. Oh, really? Mm,
0: yeah. <laughs> uh, see, I'm seeing a trend here. Uh, <laughs> Welcome but, to Columbus. We all share the same, <laughs> what's, same the, what's the best lesson from this book? And if you already mentioned it, I kind of got sidetracked when I heard it. No, I, you
1: know, I think for us, it's, it's around building a mechanism to give people shared expectations mm. and to hold one another accountable without it being about... Um, you know, uh, micromanagement, and and I think as you grow and you're keeping up with demand mm-hmm. or chasing, you know, chasing what's next, it's really easy to fall into this, particularly as a leader of just micromanaging the hell out of everything. Okay. And so, this gave us a shortcut to really empower our teams to do exactly what they needed to do.
0: Awesome! And share an online resource. This could be a magazine, uh, an app, or anything, a tool that you're leveraging in your restaurant
1: yeah so so we recently um, we leveraged hot schedules as a as an app and a um, scheduling system for all of our teams. It integrates across our other platforms and it became a really valuable tool for our team members to be able to take control of their own schedules mm-hmm. um, versus making our managers the bottleneck yeah. um, to do that and so um, that's something that I think on all levels of business has been appreciated mm-hmm. alongside of its how integration. Much,
0: how many hours uh, a month would you say Hot Schedules ha- has saved your managers?
1: Oh, geez, I, I think we're you know we're maybe twelve to eighteen months into using the tool, yep. and um, I it particularly as we open new stores that do more volume and have more hours. Um, it's hard to even quantify, but yeah. I'm sure it's uh, a pretty measurable figure.
0: Yeah, and a lot of people uh, struggle with justifying investing in technologies to uh, systematize their business. Yeah. Uh, but at the end of the day, when you're paying somebody to do a schedule, yeah. how much huge are you opportunity that cost, an hour, right? And you get a, you got to look at it that way. Like, what is the time that we're saving? Because it will pay yeah. for itself, and you will come out on top. And
1: and yeah, the wisdom to do so do, to do a schedule or to manage that. Is not going to be a differentiator for your brand. Mm-hmm. What's going to be a differentiator is having your best people do their best work. And yeah. for us, for our managers, that's as coaches. Yeah, they exactly. need to be on the field yep. coaching our team, yep. and um, not in an office mm-hmm. punching through a schedule. And yep. so we, yeah, we apply that across you know a yep. lot of disciplines.
0: I got to figure out how to ask these questions better better because the next question I have is what's one piece of technology you've adopted in your restaurant that has created, uh, or influenced operations. So I feel like that's kind of like the hot schedule <laughs> answer right there. Like, uh, I can
1: give you, I can give you another answer. Yeah, go for you it. You know, we just launched, uh, through Brink, we launched online ordering, okay. uh, you know, through kind of the native application of that, that okay. system. And, um, for our customer experience it is streamlined pretty significantly and it allows us because we're not focused on just processing a ton of transactions during a peak period it allows us to deliver more service because the transaction's already been handled it's just about hospitality and handing somebody's food over and so that's a relatively recent one for us it's been pretty so significant
0: this is a brink uh, b-r-i-n-k yep and is it a third party that is or second it's, like, no, it's, it's, it's brink's
1: it's um, brink's you know online ordering platform
0: okay cool interesting so i'll just throw a brink in there and online yeah. ordering with through brink uh, okay this is the last question it's a doozy Whew. so Brace Am I feeling unstoppable? Take <laughs> they guess answered that okay. question. Okay. Uh, <laughs> if you got the news that you'd be leaving this world tomorrow, <laughs> and all the memories of you, your work, and your restaurants would be gone with your departure, with the exception of three pieces of wisdom you could leave behind for the good of humanity uh, and f- to tie to your reputation, except for the, everything would be gone, but these three things. What? What? Man. Three pieces of wisdom would you leave behind? Like
1: three inspirational pieces of wisdom.
0: So, yeah. It doesn't even have to be inspirational. It just has to be true.
1: <laughs> yeah, I mean, I think um, I think one is that your um, your future is is stronger than your past, um, and that everybody has that kind of opportunity. I think um, this perspective of of bold humility of of being part of something bigger than yourself um, and having having the confidence in that uh, has has really changed our environment. And I think, three, that everybody has value. Um, and and it's, I, I think we are really lucky to have such a tremendous pe- team of people, top to bottom, on our org chart. And everybody has unique value to offer. And all too often, I think we write people off for mm-hmm. one reason or another. And um, it's really unfortunate. You're, you're losing a lot of lessons. Some of the best education I've ever received are, um, are from our team.
0: Those could be some of the, the three best uh, things you, that we've had on the show. I mean, it just flowed, too, man. It was great. Uh, so just thank you so much uh, for taking the time to share your story, to share your yeah, knowledge of with us here today. Uh, we wrap up every episode by calling somebody out. So who is one independent restaurant operator, somebody you admire, uh, who you think would be a good guest on the show? And making it tough because tough, I already told you everybody went. Yeah, so I can't show. use
1: any of those. You know, the, the other one I I really admire Josh Dalton, who is the executive chef and owner of Veritas Tavern. Okay. Uh, that just re- relocated downtown Columbus from Delaware up up north okay. of, of the city, and um, really, uh, we did a TEDx on the same day. And his mm-hmm. story is unbelievable, and and the intention of his work and the delivery and execution is. Uh, just flawless. I don't know how you, how you take the Midwest mm-hmm. and make it accessible in this fine, fine, innovative dining experience. I, I don't know. I, I just, his, my mind was blown when I had dinner there. Uh, with most that one more time, Josh Dalton.
0: Josh Dalton, Josh Dalton. Look out, man coming after you. <laughs> I'll let the folks at home. know uh, if we want to learn more about what you're doing here, or if we maybe want to come join your team, uh, what's the best way to connect?
1: Yeah, so you can find our website hotchickentakeover.com. Uh and see quite a bit of information there both on uh stories about our team and our approach to human resources, but additionally, uh see a lot of beautiful pictures of yeah. delicious fried chicken.
0: Yeah, I'm I'm sorry I got here after you guys closed. <laughs> um well, it was again an honor to to make an example of you to uh, not just of you but your values and your your vision and you know, your beliefs. Uh there is no questioning my friend you are. Unstoppable.
1: <laughs> thank you. <laughs>
0: Cheers. There's another episode wrapped up here at Restaurant Unstoppable. Joe DeLos. thank you, my man, uh, for taking the time to welcome me into your space and to share your story. And I loved this conversation. I think one of the big takeaways for me uh, is this idea of uh, social Creating a brand around social change, starting with the experience that you want to create and working back from there. And then also the whole idea of a lean startup, a lean approach. And for Joe, that meant starting with dinner parties and then inviting, you know, just inviting friends over, then friends of friends, and uh, starting to grow the brand from the earliest point on. So uh, creating. Uh, social handles right uh, getting those those platforms set up getting a website set up and then uh, building the the platforms on social media to redirect people back to your, your website to get signed up for an email list right so start as early as you can on uh, developing this brand. And growing your list uh, because what happened with Joe, uh, you know, eventually they moved into restaurants where they were doing the pop ups, right? And they were able to use this list, this this brand they had established to draw people to their pop ups. And then they went to the space up on the second floor of a market where if people didn't know that they existed, if they hadn't, establish that brand, they would have never been able to, to draw people into that space. So uh, there was some great advice there that I think is worth drawing more attention to. And I think the other thing that I love from this conversation is the idea of not creating jobs, but creating careers. And I think that's a big problem with our our uh, our industry in uh, corporations, for that matter, big, big companies. They create too many jobs and not enough careers or, or the the amount of careers far outweigh the amount of jobs they're creating, and uh, we need to focus on creating uh, those careers and spreading out the wealth is another personal belief that I have. So anyway, great conversation today, guys. Like always, I could use some guidance, some direction, so if you think of somebody or you know of somebody uh, that you you think should be made an example of on the show, somebody who's crushing it in your com- your community, put them on my radar. I would love to get them on the show, and uh, you can reach out to me, Eric, at restaurantunstoppable.com is my email. Social media: Eric Katchatoury on Instagram and Twitter, and Facebook slash Restaurant Unstoppable and keep those five-star reviews on iTunes and Stitcher Radio. Uh, The best way to support the show is by sharing it. Help me spread the word about this podcast and we're talking about social change today. Uh, I like to think that Restaurant Unstoppable is a business uh, centered around social change and I think the way we're going to make that social change is by sharing knowledge. If if we're going to change things in our industry and it needs some change, uh, we need to lean on each other. We need to share knowledge. We need to do this together, guys. And we do that by Uh, using platforms like this to get people who have the knowledge uh, to get that knowledge in front of everybody. So uh, share this podcast. All right, that's enough for today. Thanks so much for sticking around this long. Until next time, peace out.